Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is Joel Zinberg. Dr. Zinberg is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and an associate clinical professor of surgery at Mount Sinai Hospital. He's a native New Yorker who served for two years as general counsel and senior economist at the Council of Economic Advisors in the executive office of the president, where he specialized in health policy. He's been a contributor to City Journal for several years now, and we're excited to have him back on the podcast. His latest piece for us, which just posted this week on the website, is called End COVID Now. He also has a a very nice sharp piece in our forthcoming issue of the magazine called A Path to Better Days. Joel uh, was actually the last guest we were able to interview physically in our studio last March at the outset of the pandemic that has dominated our lives for many months now. Joel, thanks again for joining us. Oh, great to be here. Uh, As you write in this new piece, End COVID Now, uh, the United States has distributed more than 20 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines so far, uh, the two uh, approved vaccines. But as everyone knows, uh, the rollout of getting these vaccines administered has been distressing, to put it mildly. Uh, Can you give our listeners a broad idea of what's been going on? It's been reported today, for example, that the Trump administration is looking to somehow uh, expedite the process. So what's been going on is that the there are two approved vaccines, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, They uh, have been purchased by the federal government, which is now distributing them to states and the states are supposed to undertake the administration of the vaccines. Uh, And as you referenced, uh, there's been a huge disparity between the number of vaccines distributed and the number of vaccines administered. Uh, So there are already over, as of today, about 25 and a half million doses distributed, and only 9 million of those doses have been administered. Uh, And, you know, there's probably been more than 9 million. There's always a bit of a lag in reporting, but it's nowhere close to the number that we had hoped would be administered. And I would remind your listeners that each of these vaccines requires two doses. So what we're talking about is just the first of the required two doses. And uh, the problem has been really that the the states have done a, a particularly inefficient job of distributing the vaccines. Uh, Interestingly, best in the nation have been uh, the Dakotas, North and South Dakota and West Virginia. Worst in the nation have been in uh, in terms of uh, uh, vaccines administered per 100,000 population have been Georgia and Arkansas. And New York is kind of right in the middle there. Uh, And the problem that a, a lot of local officials are complaining of Uh, particularly here in New York State, is that the states have been micromanaging the distribution efforts and haven't allowed the local entities to undertake long-standing plans that they have to do mass vaccination. And as I argue in in, uh, my piece, uh, unfortunately what's happened is that we are not relying on private vaccination channels that are well-established, that we use every year, for example, for influenza vaccination. And they tried to reinvent the wheel uh, by setting up belatedly 
all sorts of new mechanisms to distribute a vaccine when they could be relying on the private channels uh, and probably do a much better job. Uh, you know, New York here, Governor Cuomo, who has um, really tried to elevate himself as uh, the hero of the COVID story, uh, he's actually now getting a lot of criticism, including from the mainstream press, for this this uh, vaccine problem, um, vaccine distribution problem. Uh, you know what what has been the the uh, record of New York here? Is is it really just this kind of centralization problem that you're describing in this piece? Well, New York has administered about thirty six percent of the one point two million doses that it's received, uh, and the county executives are pretty unanimous in complaining that the state uh, administration has ignored their pleas to utilize the plans they've had set up and for a long time so you know the the administration really has taken a relatively high-handed approach and if you listen to the Cuomo state of the state address from yesterday he is now talking about setting up a public health corps with a thousand fellows to assist in vaccinations. Well, you know, vaccines have been in the uh, public eye for months. Why is he first talking about setting this up now? If, if this was something he thought the state could do, it should have been done months ago. So I think the, the, what New York has done, and in some ways is typical uh, of what's going on in the country, is they're not relying on mechanisms that we have. And the, the government has decided it can do it better than the private entities that already exist to deliver health care. Is, is the, uh, the reverse the case with states uh, like uh, the Dakotas or West Virginia? Is that why? I, I think I read that uh, West Virginia has uh, almost 75% of, of its uh, doses distributed. Is, are they just relying on local authorities more? Well, they're relying on local authorities. They're utilizing their private people. They've just done a better job of planning in advance than, than New York has. It's amazing. Um, what you know? What's your view, uh, if you have one, uh, on this debate that's emerging about uh, how to distribute the vaccine in terms of doses? Whether it makes sense to, um, you know, get more people vaccinated with the one dose, or to hold on to uh, some of the vaccine for the second dose? Um, you know, at the risk of delaying. Now, uh, if you do vaccinate more people right now of delaying the second dose somewhat? Well, there is some evidence that you do gain some immunity just from the single dose. So one would think that giving that single dose as widely as possible would be advantageous. Um, And of course, that relies on there being a continued supply of new vaccine manufactured that will then be shipped out and be available to deliver second doses. And thus far, the production has gone pretty smoothly. There have been occasional hiccups, uh, but by and large, the production's gone smoothly. And between Pfizer and Moderna, they have uh, guaranteed that they will have produced and distributed about 200 million doses by the end of the first quarter of this year. In other words, by the end of March 31st. So if that's indeed the case, we probably will have enough 
supply that we can assure that everyone who gets the first dose gets a second dose. Uh, so uh, if it could be distributed more widely, uh, you know, giving that first dose more widely without holding uh, large numbers of doses in reserve to assure a supply for the second dose, that would make sense. The problem, of course, with that is that you, you need the capability of giving the first doses, period. I don't think what has been going on has not been a problem of withholding second doses uh, and that that's why people aren't getting the first dose. The problem is that states that have already gotten their supply are not utilizing them to administer the first dose. So, you know, the federal government has been withholding uh, a large amount of doses so that they will then be available for the second dose. But that's not the problem. The problem has been at the local level, the first doses that have been made available have not been administered. This, um, this achievement of approving to uh, inventing and approving two uh, seemingly effective vaccines uh, in, in such a short period uh, has uh, something to do certainly with the, the uh, Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed. That would be your view, right? This is, this is a kind of unprecedented to have vaccines uh, so quickly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wrote uh, a, a, an article about this uh, a few months ago now in the Wall Street Journal that outlined uh, what the administration had done. And, and I was involved in writing uh, a report back in September of 2019 uh, by the Council of Economic Advisors that dealt with improving vaccination innovation and manufacturing for the use in pandemic influenza. And what we recommended in, in that report was that there be public-private partnerships to speed innovation and to speed the uh, development and manufacturing of vaccines. And that's precisely what Operation Warp Speed did. It, it allied with multiple private pharmaceutical companies uh, we mentioned Pfizer, we mentioned Moderna, but there are several others, so that to help fund their development of the vaccine. And it also went ahead and uh, pre-purchased the vaccines so that the companies knew that if their vaccine was authorized or approved, that they would have a market. And in many cases, it went ahead and provided money to those companies so that they could start manufacturing the vaccines in advance of approval so that once approval was granted by the FDA, that there would be a ready supply instead of then having to ramp up production facilities. So these were all uh, mechanisms that we dealt with in that report dealing with uh, a, a potential influenza pandemic and what could be done to improve vaccine production. Those were lessons that were applied in Operation Warp Speed. And as you made reference to it, it's, it's a remarkable achievement. It normally takes you know, five to 10 years to develop a new vaccine for a novel virus. Uh, and here it was done in about 10 months. And it's just un completely unprecedented. The um, the distribution notwithstanding, um, people are getting vaccinated now. Uh, what's your view on how many Americans are going to need to be vaccinated before we reach um, maybe not full herd immunity, but 
but uh, a safe enough condition where we can start uh, really uh, returning to a, you know more open lifestyle. Well, so a pandemic will end, or at least abate, <laughs> when there's a high enough number of people in the population who are immune, and they can become immune either through what one would call natural immunity, in other words, they've been infected with the virus and they've recovered from the disease, uh, or they can become immune because they've been vaccinated. Uh, so when that total number of people um, who have immunity reaches a certain level, which we call herd immunity, uh, then the, the, vac- the virus will stop transmitting from person to person so easily, and the uh, pandemic will peter out. And estimates have varied for COVID-19, uh, and a lot depends on, on what we think is how transmissible the virus is, how easily it is to transmit from one person to other persons. Uh, so, you know, we're roughly in the range of about 70% would be needed to get herd immunity. That may That number may go up, by the way, if these new variants become widespread and as and if, if they are as easily transmissible as uh, people from the UK and South Africa seem to think. Uh, but at any rate, let's start with 70%. Uh, so you have to figure out before you decide how many people need to, will need to be vaccinated to reach it, how many people are already have natural immunity. Uh, we know there are over 22 million confirmed cases. Uh, and a lot, many observers, including the CDC, think that there are actually many more people who have been infected and recovered than than are in confirmed cases. The CDC estimated it could be as high as eight times as many. So if you take 22 million confirmed cases and multiply that by eight, well, you are up over 160 million people. Uh, so if we say conservatively that 150 million people have some degree of natural immunity, then you may only need to vaccinate uh, about 100 million or so additional people who have not been exposed and recovered to the virus. Uh, And uh, excuse me, you you may need to only vaccinate those folks to reach that 70% threshold. And I would, you know, I have written in another piece that the CDC uh, recommendations that everyone be vaccinated, whether they've had COVID or not, uh, and whether they've had a test uh, to determine how many antibodies they have or do not have, really doesn't make much sense. They're not utilizing the fact that we probably have a large number of people with natural immunity uh, that don't need to get vaccinated. Uh, what do you what do you um, think about the sort of criteria of order of vaccination? Um, are, are, you, you know, should we should we really be concentrating? I guess on the elderly first. Uh, that, that that makes the most sense because they've proven the most vulnerable. But you know, part of me thinks, well, maybe we should just vaccinate as many people as we can, and that that would just you know first come first serve, maybe even, and that that would just accelerate things. Well, the, it, this disease, COVID-19, has a very clear predilection for the elderly and for people with underlying medical conditions. Uh, and somewhere between 80-85% of the deaths in this disease and, and of the severe cases have been in people 65 and older. Uh, and among younger people, it is 
not it is practically unheard of for someone to get a severe case and and or die if they don't have some other underlying medical condition. So in the initial phases uh, of vaccine distribution, when you had severely constricted supplies, it made sense to concentrate on the people who are most likely to benefit the people who are most vulnerable. Uh, And they've decided to focus on the people in long-term care facilities. Uh, And and that made a lot of sense because the reality is they are only 1% of the U.S. population, actually a little less than 1%, yet they account for 40% of the deaths in this country. So you have a convergence of the elderly and uh, unwell who are living in long-term care facilities who could benefit. So that was the initial tranche of people uh, for distribution. Uh, And the federal government made arrangements uh, with private companies to distribute and and administer the vaccines in that setting. But once we move beyond that severely constricted supply, and we're hopefully entering that in this first quarter of this year, I think it makes sense to broaden things out. And in my article, I discussed uh, a a cutoff of 45 years of age. Uh, And I chose that particularly because while they are more than a majority of the population are under 45, uh, a little less than 2% of the deaths in the of, from COVID are in the under 45 age group. So that, that would be a very simple, uh, easily applied cutoff that people could utilize moving forward. Then as supplies become even more uh, ample, they could move to relax those age restrictions. But Utilizing that 45-year-old cutoff with some exceptions made for people who are younger but have uh, dangerous underlying medical conditions would accomplish you know, most of what we need to do. And uh, presumably, there will be more vaccines approved as we move forward into 2021. That's correct. I mean, it, it, Initially, it looked like the AstraZeneca vaccine was going to be approved very soon here. It has been approved in uh, the United Kingdom, has not been approved here because there were some issues uh, in their trials in terms of administering the dosage. uh, And basically, they... Uh, in manufacturing, they messed up some of the labeling. and, And as a result, many of the people in the trials received only half a dose for that first dose rather than a full dose. Uh, And then they went on to receive the full dose as the second dose. And interestingly, and no one can quite explain it, the people who got the half dose followed by the full dose did better than the people who got the full dose followed by the full dose. Uh, And uh, so the the people who got the half dose got over 90% effectiveness, and the people who got the half, the full dose on the initial dose uh, were only in the 60% uh, effectiveness range. So overall, the AstraZeneca vaccine is, is reported as 70% effective, and that's on that basis, that's what the UK approved it as. But the FDA has been a little skeptical and, and wants to see additional studying and uh, some sort of clarification before they move forward. But there's also a Johnson Johnson vaccine in the works, which will have a tremendous advantage because it requires just a single dose rather than two doses. So, you know, those are things we can sort of hope 
will be uh, we'll see some data on in the next few months and and get approval on perhaps in early in the second quarter of the year. Well, that's very helpful, Joel. Thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, don't forget, to, listeners, to check out Joel Zimberg's work on our website. That's www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his author page and his recent work in the podcast description. You can follow City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please leave us a ratings on YouTube, YouTunes, iTunes, excuse me. Um, Thanks very much for listening, and uh, thanks very much, Dr. Zimberg, again, for joining us. Quite welcome. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.